When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to the Opus, brought to you by Consequence Sound, Sony Legacy Recordings. I'm your host, Andy Bothwell, and this is the bonus episode. We're still in season nine, Mob Deep's The Infamous, but I had a ton of great audio and stories that I couldn't really fit into the three 30-minute regular episodes. To be honest, all three episodes ended up being way longer than they were supposed to be, because even though the bosses want me to try to keep it around a tight 30, I couldn't really help it. There's a lot to cover on this album, and also I just, yeah, I just love this damn record. So, I'm going to pick a few of my favorite bits out of the files here. So if you haven't listened to episodes one through three, and you're just joining us now, I suggest you start from the beginning, at the top of the list, so you can get the full story before you get off in the weeds on this bonus material. Feel me? But, if you're all caught up, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's get right into it. You know, also, I don't want to not be transparent, but there's a chance, another one of the reasons why I really, really fell into this album. This is Sean Daly, a.k.a. Slug, the rapping half of the group Atmosphere from Minneapolis, Minnesota. We spoke to him and Ant, the beat-making half of Atmosphere, in episode two of this season. And while he had a lot of really insightful stuff to say, towards the end of the interview, he had a bit of a confession, I suppose, to make about... Another reason he, Slug, loves this record so much. Prodigy says the word slug like 15 times on this album. <laughs> and, no, listen, though. And so at the time, I was still cutting and scratching and, and, and also messing around with turntablism. My original copy of this record, I still have it. And, and, and I've never really had a reason to show it to anybody. But if I ever did, you would see how much work. I put on this album, Cutting and Scratching. So for me, 
it wasn't just like I heard it a lot in my headphones, but I also heard his voice a lot as, you know, an hour straight of me just trying to scratch or cut it. And, and it would be unfair for me to not mention that as part is just another part of why I think this record really left a super long lasting impression on me. Yeah, well, it spent that much time in your hand. You could pick that record up and even if you don't have it marked, you could probably very quickly remember just from muscle memory where those slugs are located. Yeah, well, you can see, you know, you, you I, I know where the label is. Yeah. Because I know at, at, at what at what hour the label's at where he says when the slugs penetrate you know what i mean yeah totally <laughs> i hadn't really thought about that but he really does say slug a Man, lot on that record. it is a lot dude it is, it, you know <laughs> it's funny because I, I probably haven't listened to the album in like i mean i don't know maybe a year ago was the last time that it was played so i revisited it uh, a couple days ago for to, to talk to you and was just like, oh, that's right. Oh my God, I used to scratch. There's like seven songs right here. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I used to scratch that. And then, you know, for like a couple of them, there were acapellas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so it was totally. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. what a bounty <laughs> for you. There's no, there was nobody saying astronautalist on a record. It was not an option for me, but you had this one with one, <laughs> one record with so many options to run through. Yeah. What is the bonus episode four of Now for a Story Like That? I love that story, picturing young Slug in his apartment in Minneapolis, Minnesota, just wearing out this record, scratching every time that someone says Slug. And what is a bonus episode for, if not for me, to take the time to figure out exactly how many times the word Slug is said on the infamous. <laughs> so, here you go. Why you wasting? Slugs, you ain't bucking nothing. You better all fucking yourself. You need to stop fronting. That's one. New York got a nigga depressed. Technically, he said slug proof, but he still said slug. That's two. Hey, not just Prodigy after all. Even Havoc got in there. That's three. That's four. And then later again on the same song. That brings us to five, and now we have. That one was six, and I know I let it run long, but that verse contains one of my favorite uses of language on this whole album. When Prodigy says. Pick up the handle and insert the potion. Cock the shit back in a calm-like motion. First of all, what an incredible cinematic image. But second of all, using the word potion to describe bullets or the clip of the gun is such a smart turn of a phrase. It makes it so powerful. It's really, really incredible. I love that line so much. (sighs) I wish I thought of it. Even Big Noy got one in, bringing us to seven. That one's probably the most famous one. That brings us to eight. But we got one more. Nine. 
That's right. Nine times someone says the word slug on this album. <laughs> it's a goddamn cornucopia of slugs for slug to scratch on. But I didn't just bring this up because I like weird hip-hop trivia like this. Of course, that is one of the reasons that I brought this up, but it's not the only reason. Slug is such a strange word for some teenagers in 1994 to use so commonly when they're talking about bullets. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, you know? When you hear the term slug, you don't think 90s hip-hop, you think 40s gangster movies. And some Jimmy Durante would say. But, as we've learned throughout this season, Mob Deep, they just use language differently. It's this incredible mixture of common conversational language mixed with sort of prosaic uses of words and their own slang. I mean, they had their own language. And I don't mean that figuratively. I mean, literally, they they had their own language. It's called the Dunn language. (laughs) And this is one of those things that I wanted to talk about, but just couldn't figure out a place to put it in the three episodes. So... The Dunn language. The Dunn language... Where did it begin? Dunn language is a lot of things at once. It started out as a joke. One of their friends from Queensbridge, Bumpy, had a speech impediment. And slang of the day, you, you call people son. So when you greet someone, when someone would roll up, you would say, what up, son? But when Bumpy would say it, because he had a speech impediment, it would come out as, what up, son? And you know how things like that can go in a group of friends. You know, they start teasing you about it. But then, you know, they start saying it. And soon, everybody's saying it. Nobody says son anymore. Everyone says, what up, son? And that right there became a badge, an identifier. You knew who was in the crew if they said done instead of son. And then from there, it just became like a code, like a pig Latin they would use. When they wanted to speak to each other and not be understood, they started replacing the first letters of words with Ds, like son, the dun. And this like new language was born. But because Mob Deep became Mob Deep, and they were the huge influence they were, it spread all over the world. And tons of that slang has permeated into into the general rap music lexicon. People say, what I've done, all over. Not just in Queensbridge. Start listening for it when you listen to rap music. Particularly New York stuff, but you'll hear it coming from all over. The one I realized that I still use today, and I don't even know when I started using it, but I still use it today, is dolo. Instead of solo. I use it all the time. If you want me to use it in a sentence... Hey man, you rolling with us at the party or you rolling dolo? Makes sense. And it's fair to say now that the Dunn language has evolved to be more of an umbrella for more than just the pig Latin of swapping out that first letter for a D. While still that at its core, the way Mob Deep used language in general has permeated into rap culture in more ways than Dunn, Dolo, and Drilly. The Dunn language really is just Mob Deep's whole dictionary now. Using slug nine times on a record. Describing the clip of a gun as a potion. Or even the title of their most popular song of all time, Shook Ones. Calling someone shook. 
That's all P and have. And now it's just part of our popular lexicon. Well, I don't think either of them anticipated what the done language would become. This is something that they were very aware of, very protective of, even in the studio sessions. Nobody calls shots with lyrics and shit like that more than Pete. This is Scott Free, one of the executive producers in A&R's, for the record. You heard a lot of him on episode one. I remember uh, sometimes with, with Havoc, Pete would stop in the middle of a verse and, t- and say to Havoc, like, don't say it like that. Probably he'd be like, don't say it like that. That's not how we talk. You know what I mean? You know, it wasn't even so much about what he wrote. It was about, you know, how he was saying it sometimes. And, and, and again, you know, getting into the done language. So, you know, he kind of even influenced Havoc with the whole thing of like, you know, don't, 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 don't MC like an MC. MC or rhyme the way we talk, you know. Because of that, we get this incredible trickle down of slang. And this... This is something I love about rap music. Whether you like it or not, rap music is the great cultural engine that drives much of the world. From music to fashion, photography, film, and even language. It still blows my mind when I hear political analysts on the cable news or old white baseball announcers on ESPN say flip the script. On live TV, like it's totally normal. Flip the script... (laughs) Well, the exact origins of Flip the Script aren't known, but according to LexisNexis, the first recorded usage was in an LL Cool J song that he wrote for Bill Clinton's inauguration. I'm sure it's way older than that, but either way, <laughs> it is here to stay. We trace the roots of a lot of this stuff. It often comes back to very specific artists with a unique usage of language. Think of what Snoop has done for popular language. Or someone like BG from New Orleans who gave the world bling bling back in 1999. And now, you know, it's everywhere. Merriam-Webster added to the dictionary in 2006. And by the way, free BG. No one has generated more slang and more wild language than King of Slang himself out of the Bay Area, E-40. Fody Water, man. No one has generated more slang and wild language than King of Slang himself, E-40. That list is incredible. Broccoli, Fetty, Gouda, Popo, you feel me, you smell me, saying that something slaps, that is all E-40. And there's like a ton of other slang of his too that hasn't even been popularized that it is incredible. He is a legit genius when it comes to language. And while Big L, rest in peace, didn't generate a lot of slang, he wrote the definitive guide to New York slang back in 2000 with his song Ebonics. Listen to that song. It's unreal. Also contains a huge shout out to Mob Deep on the line. A burglary is a jook. A wolf's a crook. Mob Deep already explained the meaning of shook. God, I could go on and on on that. I have the whole song memorized. Listen to Big L. He is one of the greatest rappers who ever lived and one of the main reasons I got into rap music. Also, uh, warning, he is wildly vulgar. Totally inappropriate, but Jesus. What a technician. And then you have Mob Deep with the Dunn language and all of their word usage still filtering into our popular lexicon today, 25 years after the infamous is released. Obviously, I have a special place for that record. This is evidence from Dilated Peoples. We talked to him on episode two of this season, but I had to bring him back because he had a similar story to what Slog said at the beginning of this episode. 
Dilated Peoples wouldn't have had their breakout single, Worst Come to Worst, if it wasn't for Mob Deep's language either. You know, Dilated Peoples, our biggest song was Worst Come to Worst, which we took a line from uh, Survival of the Fittest, you know? So, like, you could see what records we were scratching, well, like, what records we had in our crates when we were making beats and cutting things over them and heard that. It's like, oh, shit. And this, this is the trickle-down of rap slang. The Dunn language, filtering through layers to get to where we are. You got Slug wearing out his copy of The Infamous in Minnesota because of what Mob Deep decided to call Bullets back in 95. And then Evidence is in Cali making a hit song with Dilated Peoples because of Havoc's language on Survival of the Fittest. And then there's me in Jacksonville, Florida, letting this record just absorb so deeply into my brain back then that today, 25 years later, in 2020, I'm still saying dolo on the regular all because Mob Deep's homie Bumpy couldn't say his S's right back in Queensbridge in the early 90s. That, my friends, is some damn influence. You, what you wanna do? Whatever party's over, tell the rest of the crew. My beeper kept beeping, the other numbers started leaking. Who was this on my mind? I was thinking. Then I realized it was my thun putting now on one. Once I seen the numbers, I ran for the fucking guns. My thun in trouble. I be there on a double. I jumped up in the bubble. Yo, kid, where are you? 114 between Manhattan and Morningside Avenue. This happened just straight out the blue. Hey, yo, thun, the other part of this album that I really want to talk about, but couldn't really find the room for in the three main episodes. Sort of ties into that story about Bumpy and the Dunn language. Well, Mob Deep is technically just Prodigy and Havoc. They're the ones making the beats. They're the ones writing the lyrics. They're the ones performing the songs. There's like a third member to that group. And that's the Mob. That's all the homies from Queensbridge. You can hear it when you listen to the album. And it's not just Big Noid kicking verses on there, but the album starts with a song, the start of your ending. And there's no chorus. Prodigy and Havoc both spit their verses, but where the chorus should be is just their homies talking up the track, representing. And then for the second song, the infamous prelude, where Prodigy does, God, goes on a tear, just draws a line in the sand for the hood, for rap music, for the whole goddamn world, which I could probably do a whole episode on that itself, then after his whole rant, he says, I'll finish what I had to say. Y'all can continue on. And then in comes the crew again. And that's how the album starts. It is song three before you get to a song with an actual chorus without half of the 41st side of Queensbridge representing on a track. And that continues all through the album. Now look, they weren't the first to do this, of course. And there are so many albums in rap music where rappers have all their boys on a track. But on the infamous, it's different. It sets a tone. The mob is more than just mob deep. It's a presence. That was a good analogy. They were like the third member. You know what I'm saying? This, of course, is Havoc from Mob Deep. And beyond all the musical aspects of the album, this is one of the things that I was the most curious to ask him about. How the rest of the mob influenced this record. It was the member they didn't write or nothing like that. But the, the friends and the whole, you know, the whole crew, they were the support system. They was the the essence of who Mob Deep was, right? It was it's a bunch of us, you know what I mean? Two vocalists, a whole crew behind you, there to hold you down if you know if there's trouble to protect you, and you know what I mean? Just be there, just you know, your friends. But we so so it was second nature. It wasn't even pressure to bring them along. 
One of my favorite parts of the record is at the very end in the song, Party's Over. Prodigy shouting out names of everybody in the crew. This was always so cool for me listening back then when it came out. You hear those names, it made Queensbridge really come to life. It made that place feel like a world. Much bigger than just Prodigy and Havoc. And there's one name that Prodigy shouts out that's just always stuck with me for 25 years. So when I got to talk to Havoc, I had to ask him about it. So at the end of the record, the party's over, Prodigy's shouting out the names of everybody in your crew, and there's one name that's always stuck out with me. So I just have to ask, who is Karate Joe? Karate Joe hit him with the body blow, yep, yep. Karate Joe... He's somebody from my block. You know, I'm from the 41st side of 12th Street. So he's one of these figures. He's probably like two years older than us, really. And But we, we all hung out, and he knows karate. <laughs> he'll, 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 he'll do some damage to somebody. He, his name ain't Karate Joe for nothing. You know, he's, <laughs> he's actually a martial arts teacher to this day. You know what I mean? You wouldn't know, but he's also a boxer. And he's like, you know, somebody that really, you know, hung around us early on. You know, when we was doing it, he was there from like day one. So he, we always gave him props. Well, well respected dude. Hearing that just made my day. Because here we are 25 years later and Havoc still keeping tabs on Karate Joe. It gets back to that thing we brought up so much in this season. Just how real these guys are. What you hear on the record is what they live. Mob Deep wasn't just a clever, tough ass name. The mob was really that deep. And Prodigy and Havoc were loyal to that. There is no mob without that mob. This is Chimo Du. He's taking some of the most famous photographs in rap history. Just go look at his Instagram, at Chimo Du, C-H-I-M-O-D-U. It will blow your mind. And among these photos, you'll find the photos that were used for the artwork for Mob Deep's The Infamous, including that legendary cover photo of Prodigy and Havoc, where Havoc's in the front, and then because of the short depth of field, Prodigy's out of focus in the back. And then the back cover shot of the entire mob, all mobbed up on the roof of the projects. And that was their crew. Like, they were always loyal to their crew, you know? And they ran a tight-knit group. Not just anyone can get in their crew, you know? So if you were part of their circle, I would always see you if I was coming around with my camera because you were going to be there. It, it felt only natural to include them in the pictures. Many of the pictures you see that I share on Instagram and other things, it's the whole crew. And in fact, the public reacts in an interesting way when they see the whole crew on the rooftop of the projects because it takes people to, back to a time and place. You know? And I think that's one thing about the mob. Like the music doesn't get old because it takes you to a time and place. What I try to do though, is bring my skill to match it with the, the goal of the artists. You know? And so Queensbridge was their life. That's what they represented every chance they got. And so for me, it was important to show Queensbridge in the proper community-style light that I did. Queensbridge was such a presence on the record, like we talked about in the first episode. Their mob was such a presence on this record because it was their life. And Chimo Du saw that. And so it came through in the artwork. And when I talked to the executive producers and the A&R's, Scott Free and Maddie see what it was like making the album. What it was like inside the studio, it was the same thing. Sure, they wrote a lot of this record in Queensbridge, but when it came time to record it, to really make it, they had to go to Manhattan. And they brought all of Queensbridge with them. 
Which, that makes sense. I mean, Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys built a sandbox in his dining room and put his piano in it so he could feel the sand between his toes while he wrote Beach Boys songs. So, you can't make a record about Queensbridge without all of Queensbridge being in the studio with you. And everyone I talked to that was in that studio makes it sound like it was the most fun in the world. Having everybody there with you, the whole crew, Prodigy and Havoc working, Havoc banging out beats, Prodigy writing his lyrics, and then all your boys smoking, drinking, partying with you, celebrating when a song comes together, even jumping in the booth when you need them. And the whole the whole process of it and how we gelled and and how it went was was it was all organic. When I think back at it, it was it was a, it was a, the, the process was fucking phenomenal it was a fun process we're back with the executive producer and a&r scott free the story he's about to tell really sets the scene of what it must have been like to be in the studio with mob deep and the whole queensbridge crew but on top of that it's just my favorite thing that i heard in all the hours of interviews that i did for this season i just always remember like yo P could be in the corner writing or whatever, whatever had was fucking with the beat. It was always just so suspenseful. The whole infamous crew could be in there, hennied up, wilding out, talking shit. The minute that prodigy, prodigy wouldn't even say nothing. You know, he'd get up, he'd get up, get up out of that chair, had his book, tap the engineer, like, yo, silence, man. Like, uh-oh, P, P about to go in. P would go in. You know, read his first couple of bars or whatever to get it, you know, just to see where he, how he wanted to, you know, freak the cadence or whatever. And it was always like that first four or five bars is just have everybody stuck. Like, oh, yo, did he just, ooh. I mean, come on, man. Think about how all of us looked at this dude when he pops in the booth talking about, I got you stuck off the realness, you know. You know, I mean, the, the beat was phenomenal. We know we had a monstrous beat, you know, but when he comes in and just lays that, those first five bars, I got you stuck off the rail. We be infamous. You heard of us. Official Queensbridge murderers. Yo, the whole room went crazy. Like, it's a rap. You know, it's a rap. I definitely have to say, like, my most exciting moments of making that record was just waiting for Prodigy to slide into the booth and, and set it off and see what direction we was going to go. Waiting for Prodigy to walk into the booth was beyond beyond exciting. I got you stuck off the realness. We be the infamous, you heard of us. Official Queensbridge murderers. The mob comes equipped for warfare. Beware of my crime family who got enough shots to share for all those who want to profile and pose. Rock you in your face, stab your brain with your nose bone. You all alone in these streets, cousin. Every man for themselves in his land, we be gunning. And keep them shook crews running like they supposed to. They come around, but they never come close to. I can see it inside your face, you're in the wrong place. Cowards like you just get their whole body laced up. With bullet holes and sucks. Speak the and that, unfortunately, brings us to the actual end of the season. I can't tell you how hard it was to cut audio for this season. I have hours and hours of great stuff from people. There's so many stories. Eventually, I had to stop reaching out for interviews because I knew there wasn't going to be enough time to cover it all and fit it all into a single season. It was a real fun one to make. So I want to thank all my guests giving me such great work to work with and making it so damn difficult to decide what makes a cut and what doesn't. And especially my guests for this episode, Slug from Atmosphere, Evidence from Dilated Peoples, 
Go check out their work. Photographer Chimo Du, seriously, look at his Instagram. Photos are wild. Executive producer and A&R, Scott Free. Scott Free and Maddie C gave me literal hours of stories. Someday I'm going to find a way to tell their stories and loud record stories because it's incredible, incredible stuff. Of course, last but not least, I want to thank Havoc again from Mob Deep. That was just a real box checked in my life to get to talk to you. Sad to see this one end. But really excited for next season too because this is another album that is stories. It's one of the most legendary stories actually in contemporary music history. She's perhaps the greatest power voice in all of pop music. I'm of course talking about the queen herself. God rest her soul. Whitney Houston. We're going to be covering her self-titled debut album, and this this is going to be a good one. So stay tuned. That should be coming out at the end of the month. Until then, thanks for listening, y'all. It's been a real pleasure. Consequence Sound, Sony Legacy Recordings. I'm your host, Andy Bothwell, and this is The Opus. Consequence Podcast Network. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast.